Jesus has saved us. Man, it's a great news. It's so good. It's so good. You know, there's a pastor who was walking down a country lane one day, and there was a, there was a young farmer there, and, and uh, the, there was a cartload of hay, and it was laying over, and he was trying to pick it all back up. And, and the pastor noticed that he was really hot. He was sweating. And the, this, this pastor was like, hey, son, you know, let's, why don't you just take a break, sit down, and, and then I'll help you. And he's like, no, 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 I need to, really, I need to keep working. He said, my, my father wouldn't appreciate that if I, if I rested. And, and he, he went back to work, and the, the pastor's like, no, no, real, man, son, your, your dad must be an absolute slave driver. He said, uh, um, you sit down, take a rest, I'll help you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give your, your dad a piece of my mind. Where is he? The boy said, well... He's under that pile of hay. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, the point of that story is just the fact that this son was, was just not listening to the pastor, right? He's, he was being a leader in what he was seeking to accomplish to do. And, and we've been talking about courage and stepping up to God's promises. And today we're going to look at Gideon. Um, we're going to look at, at Gideon's experience with his God and how that's very similar to ours. You know, in, in the national political realm, um, there have been many who proclaim, and I think who have observed, there's, a lack, there's been a lack of leadership. A, a lack of leadership nationally. Um, what, what is the deal? Uh, it, it's like we, we, we don't step up to the challenges, and, and I, I get that the decisions are difficult and they're hard. But sometimes you just gotta, you gotta be bold and courageous in making some of those decisions. A few years ago, the Los Angeles Times carried in an editorial entitled, Whatever Happened to the Public Heroes of Today? And this is what this journalist wrote. He said, we live in an age of spiritually timid and lackluster men for whom the very concept of bold leadership is an anathema, unquote. An anathema? Really? Does he really think that? That leadership is a curse? That, that leadership is detested? No way. Leadership is not a curse. It should not be detested. It is God-given. It's God-given. Leadership is something that we can learn, that we can get better at, that we can get bolder in. Our nation, our states, our church, our families need both men and women to courageously step up to the plate and be leaders. We need leaders. We need heroes. And, And heroes are always, uh, heroes almost never view themselves as heroes. Have you, have you noticed that? Um, unlike Superman and Captain America, they didn't wake up one morning and say to themselves, I'm going to be a hero today. That just didn't happen in their life. But the stories of heroes fill the pages of history. The history of our nation, the histories of our families, and the history of, the, of, of our Bible are sprinkled with heroes all throughout. Many heroes came out of the woodwork on September 11th. We remember that day. Rushing into a burning building. Nobody had any idea what was going to happen. I didn't have. As I'm watching it, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that they would fall to the ground. But they knew there was danger. They knew that they might lose their life, and they rushed in. Uh, men and women on that airplane that was destined for another target in Washington, D.C. rushed the cockpit, full well knowing probably that they might not make it out of this. But it didn't stop them from, from being leaders in that plane and saying, this is what we need to do, this is what we're going to do, and they did it. And they gave the ultimate price for that. The heroes, as I've been thinking in my own life, are men and women 
that most of not really that most of you have not really heard about. Maybe a little bit here and there. My, my great grandparents, for instance, on faith got on a train and came to Albin, Wyoming, to be farmers and and to be around family and to live their Christianity faithfully to the end of their life, wherever they were. And and for them, it was a dusty, windy, dry place called Albin, Wyoming. I can't imagine what my my great-grandmother thought when she and and the kids got off of the train in Pine Bluffs and went, holy smokes. They came from Chicago, okay? So a little bit different, you know, uh, landscape. And, and, then, and then, of course, um, I've, I've mentioned my mom before. Uh, some of you know much about her. She sacrificed much for many people the time that the Lord gave her on this, on this planet. And, uh, and, and she, I would certainly consider one of my heroes. Uh, my dad, uh, he's lived a life of integrity. He's lived a life of faith. Um, every day, just as his father did and just as his father did. Uh, my, my father is faithful in prayer. He prays for each of us children every day by name. Every day. He, prays faith, he, and, he and my stepmom pray faithfully through the Gideon calendar, praying for, for, for pastors and Gideon workers all over the world every day. Every day. Uh, he's led by example every step of the way. He disciplined his children and taught them how they should live, although my older siblings would say, they didn't discipline me as much. An advantage of being 10 years younger than all of the rest of your siblings, I suppose. Um, there are, honestly, there are many people, young and old, seeking to be faithful to God today because of the faithfulness of my dad. He's a hero. He really is. He is a hero of the faith. Um, Donald Anderson, if you're listening or watching this, he turned 87 on Friday. Man, that's old. He would say that too. I think he would agree. He would agree. Um, Dad, I love you. Um, thank you for, for being faithful and for being that example to me of how to live my life. Jesus called his disciples to live lives of courage. Um, and it's no different for us today, for all of us. But you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not really hero material. You know, I don't really come from a family that's extraordinarily heroic. Um, in fact, we have a pretty rough background in my family, and so I really, I really don't think that, that I am hero material. In fact, it's probably not really possible. And, and so if that's you, if that's what you're thinking, uh, my prayer for you is that you would hear his message for you today, because this message, if that's what you're thinking, is for you. Um, of course, it's for all of us. Um, turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, uh, it's, in, it's in the Old Testament. It's the seventh book of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath a seat uh, in front of you or from around you, and in the, in the Bibles under the chairs, it's page 238. Page 238, Judges chapter 6. Also be good to take out that note sheet if you hadn't already. Um, maybe take some notes this morning. Judges chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse 1. Again, the Israelites, notice it says again. It's an ongoing story with Israel, right? Come on, Israel, can't you, can't you get it? Um, of course, that's us too, right? Uh, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. God needed to get Israel's attention again. 
God's like, hey, remember me? The one who saved you and who is your God and, and who fights for you and, and who is you know, going to give you the promised land? God needed to get their attention. So here's what God did. He allowed an evil pagan nation to oppress them. The Midianites. The Israelites were hiding in caves. They were, they were losing the fruit of their labor, and they feared for their lives. And it was not a fun seven years. It was tough living that seven years. And then verse 6 says this, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. He's got them right where he wants them, doesn't he? That's what God wants. He wants his people, the, the Israelites, and for us to cry out to him. Not to rely on our own selves, but to cry out to him. And, and then the Lord sends them a prophet who reminds them of who he was and what he had done for them. You see, he loved them very much. He freed them from Egypt. He reminded them of what he expected of them. Look at verse 10, chapter 6. I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. To us, he would say, be saying, don't worship the gods of the United States. Don't worship the gods of the world. Don't, don't worship nature. Don't, um, don't worship money. Don't worship power. Don't worship fame or popularity or any of that stuff. Don't put that before me, the Lord says. He says, worship me. Follow me. Rely on me. And if you have been, uh, my challenge to you is to continue to cry out to the Lord on behalf of your family and your nation. But if you have not, as a country, we need to repent and return to the Lord. Let's, let's be on our knees about this. You know, let's continue, let's continue in Judges. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belongs to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon is hiding to, to thresh the wheat. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever thought that yourself? You know, we, you hear it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. God is working. God is fighting for you. God is for you. God loves you. And yet bad things hap are happening in your life. And, and you, you sort of think, what, what gives God? I mean, is it this or is it that? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Gideon reminds the angel of the Lord. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian, which is true. He put them into the hand of Midian, but he had not abandoned them. That was not the purpose of that. The Lord turned to him and said, isn't it interesting how we just, it just went from the angel of the Lord to the Lord. And if you notice in this passage in your Bibles, probably most of them, Lord is all um, uh, uppercase small, Right? And, and as we read our Bibles, we know that that's the direct translation of the word Yahweh. Yahweh, the name of God. When you see that in your Bible, that's, that's what that means. Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon replies with this, But Lord... 
How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. But Lord, look at who I am. You're thinking that maybe today. I can't be a hero. I'm not hero material. That's exactly what Gideon is saying. I'm the weakest in the least. I'm in the weakest family tribe. I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered this in verse 16. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Three observations today we're going to look at. The first one is this. God doesn't call the qualified, and I put necessarily in there because sometimes he does. He qualifies the called. You've heard it before. It's almost become cliche maybe in in religious circles, in Christian circles. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. All throughout Scripture, we see this time and time and time again, don't we? Look at Gideon's description. But Lord, how can I save Israel? How can you use me? I'm just a wimp. I'm weak. Do you ever think that way yourself? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what you think you're thinking right now. You've expect, inspected your family and you just don't see any strength there. But Lord, but Lord, my family history... Why would you call me out? Of, why would you call me? I don't, I don't have any relatives who were faithful and re- their relatives were faithful. That's just, that's just not my family. And, 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 and of all my family, I'm actually the weakest. I mean, I've, maybe you're thinking this. I've never really stood up to anything in my life. You know, I give in really easily when tempted or, or whatever. I'm just weak. I'm afraid of the enemy. Well, let's think about Gideon for just a second. Okay, Gideon is threshing grain in a wine press. Normally, grain is threshed out in the open or on a hillside so that the, the wind coming up can remove the holes and the chaff and all of that, and the grain falls down. But he's in a wine press down low, pro- probably below the ground. Why? So that the, so that the Midianites wouldn't see him doing this. So he's afraid. I mean, and rightly so, right? He's, we would say he's being cautious. But, but he's living his life in fear. He has no confidence. Maybe you think that too. I just have no confidence or experience to draw strength from. Have those thoughts ever entered your mind? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? Have you ever been afraid? Moses was afraid. Made excuses why God couldn't use him. Jeremiah was afraid. He used excuses why God couldn't use him. Over and over and over we see scripture where there are these weak people. But what's God doing? He's calling them. He's saying, it's you I want. But I'm not qualified. Don't care. I will qualify you. I'm calling you. I will qualify you. I will fight for you. I want to give you four verses this morning. Um, Three of them are actually listed in your note sheet. One of them is not down there at the bottom of that first page. Um, here's four verses for you. If, if you don't think you could have the courage to be a humble hero, here are four things. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Write, write that down. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world 
to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are and that no one may boast before him. So if you put yourself in any of those categories, right? Um, Not wise, foolish, weak, lowly, despised. You know what? That's right where God wants you. I mean, that's where we need to start before him. Because he says that he chose these lowly things of the world. And there's a purpose for that, and we're going to see that. Look, look at Romans eight twenty-eight and 31. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his what? Purpose. Not their ability. His purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Wake up tomorrow morning and say that. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. I can do everything through him. Not myself. Not all the things that I can muster. Through him. Through him. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That courage that we have in our daily lives comes from him. It comes from him. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that's you. And that's me. Number two this morning, we can have confidence in God's greatness. We, this should be a point in every sermon every Sunday. Because for some reason, we just seem to forget it in the middle of the week. When, when hard things are coming and we're struggling and we're, we're, you know, we've got another week um, in our month and, and there's no money left in the account and we begin to lose confidence. We begin to wonder, where is God? And we begin to fear. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. See, God's the one that's doing the conquering. God's the one that's doing the fighting. And that's the best place for us to be. You see, he wants Gideon in a place of surrender and trust. Surrender and trust. And, and as we're going to see, he's not there yet. And you might not be there yet either. And you need not fear the process. You need to join God in the process and submit yourself and say, it doesn't matter where I'm at. You may be baby believer. You may be backslidden Christian. It doesn't matter. Submit yourself to the process. There, one of those songs that we sang that, that, that said, uh, you know, there isn't anything that we can experience here that can't be healed by heaven. There, there isn't a sin that God will not forgive. And, and submitting, submitting ourselves and having confidence in God's greatness is where we need to be. You see, God knows what's holding you back. God knew what was holding Israel back. It took the Midianites to wake them up. What, 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 is, God, what is God doing in your life to get your attention? To say, hey, remember me? 
God knows what's holding me back, and he knows how to best mold us and shape us and move us along. Gideon? Gideon has been called. What does Gideon do? He asks for a sign. Right? Look at verse 17, right there. He asked for a sign, and the Lord was patient with him, wasn't he? God gave him a sign. He gives Gideon confirmation that it is indeed the God of Israel before him. Wait a minute. The angel of the Lord stood before you and spoke with you directly. Now, this could have just, it, it, it could have been actually merely in human form because this is one of the times in Scripture where it doesn't say that he was afraid because usually when it says an angel of the Lord appeared before them, their first words are fear not. Well, this angel of the Lord didn't say fear not. So maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was just a God um, in, in, in person form. There was no glowing. There was nothing like that that, has, that we've seen in other passages. I, I don't know. For whatever reason, Gideon doubts that it was God. So in, in verse 17, he asked for confirmation. And then look at verse 36. He again asked for confirmation. Okay, that was good. I, okay, it's you. Oh, well, wait a minute. Is it really? So he asked for confirmation again in verse 36. And then again in verse 39. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, please. Let me make just one more request. I mean, the, the, the things that he's testing God with, there's no way they're going to happen without God doing these things. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. See, even Gideon knows he's testing God. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. You see, God was patient. Gideon was, Gideon was growing. Gideon was trusting. Now, I'm not suggesting that you test God. I'm not suggesting you get a fleece. No, that's not the message of this point. Okay? But I'm simply making the observation that heroes are not born. They are not often created overnight. It is a process, and you and I are in that process. I believe he's working in all of us, and, and we need to continue to submit to him. Submit to him. Okay, so, so beginning in verse 25, God gives Gideon some instructions, and Gideon obeys. He tears down his father's idols. He builds a proper altar to God. And, and he did it at night, out of fear probably, but he still did it. And, and that's obvious evidence of growth in his life and his trust in God. God said, go do this. Gideon did it. Pretty bold thing to do. And it was the beginning of repentance for his family because we see that his father then repents. Judges 6, 25 through 32, we see the destruction of the altars to Baal and on his father, father's property. And his boldness and courage leads to his father's repentance. And the men in the town want to kill Gideon for what he did because he destroyed their altars. But his dad then rises up and defends him. It's like, of course, his dad realizes what, what he's been doing. He's been living in sin. He's been worshiping idols. And it took his son to rise up and say, again, his dad is in process. Gideon was too, and so are we. So the, so the Midianites are amassing this army. 
And if you look at verse 33 right there, it says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And so Gideon puts out a call to gather the men for his army. I don't know. Maybe he lit, you know, torches on mountaintops. I don't know how he gathered everybody or they got the word out, but the cavalry is coming. In fact, um, we see... Uh, in verse 34, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to, to follow him. He sent messengers, well, that's how he did it, right there, throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and that, so that they too went up to meet them. If, if you turn over to chapter 7, we see that Gideon has amassed a total of 32,000 men. He's got a huge army. 32,000 people. Men, a great army. And then there's this very incredible statement of God. Look in chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. What? That's not how it works, right? I mean, if you've played any sort of game like Risk, you need a big army. And then you throw the odds. Very few times does the army of one beat an army of eight. God says, too many men. Too many men. I mean, I, I get it. I understand. But put yourself in Gideon's place. You've just rallied 32,000 men, and God says, nope, that's too many. I, I think it's true for many of us right now. You know, there, there's things happening in our lives and around us that we just don't have the power to control or, or we try to exert the power to control them, to work them out, and that's our first, that's our first go-to. It's, it's, uh, it's to figure this out. But, but what does he want us to do in the face of, some, of the impossible or the difficult? God says, turn to me. God wants us to put our confidence in him and his greatness, not in ourselves, not in our money, not in our intelligence, not in the government, although that's becoming less and less difficult to do, not even in the freedoms that we have in this country, but in the greatness of God. And that's what Gideon did. You see, Gideon obeys. Gideon whittles, well, God whittles Gideon's army from 32,000 to what? 300. Three hundred men will move in obedience to God's call on their lives to defeat this massive army of the Midianites. Not in their strength, not in their numbers, but by the greatness of God. In their weakness, God then does what? defeats the Midianites, just like he said he would do. Look at verse 17. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with you, uh, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Can you imagine hearing this battle plan for the first time? It's, it's almost like Jericho again, right? Um, and, and, 
again, you've got to factor in the history of, of what they've experienced before. Trumpets. Gideon, verse 19, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. Gideon and his men blew trumpets and held torches. Not 32,000, but 300. When the 300 trumpets sounded, verse 22, the Lord, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled. The Lord fought for them. See, if, if they had amassed a, a, an army of 32,000 and, and they had attacked and won, who would have got the credit? Gideon, the 32,000. Who gets the credit now? God does. See, if you amass everything you can muster to, to tackle a problem, and, and you may or may not succeed, but if you succeed, who, who gets the credit? Who will take the credit? Probably you or me. But, but, but if we're in constant submission to the Lord and we're trusting in Him and His power and His greatness and He goes before us and He fights for us, then in the end, we acknowledge, wow, God, look what you did. Look what you did. I, I want to make one final observation this morning. I mean, I love to talk about point two all for the rest of the day. The weak. Isn't that great? God fights for us. You know, and, and okay, just give me a couple more minutes on this point. Uh, in, in our Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at uh, Joshua and, um, and how they, they, they went into the promised land and what God did for them, and, and he's delivering the promised land to them. And then they come across this town called Ai, right? Um, and, and, and they go up and they, they spy it out and they're like, oh, we don't need that many men. And God says, you know, agrees and says, but, but when you take this city, you got to take all of the spoils and put them into the, to God's treasury, to the treasury of the Lord. And uh, I'm mixing my stories. That happened actually before the battle of Ai. They were to, to destroy this city and put all of the articles uh, of, of value into the Lord's treasury. And there was this man by the name of Achan who just couldn't, um, couldn't resist a few things, like just a couple things. And he, he put them in his pockets and, and he took them home after this battle and he buried them in his tent. And then they go and they fight the battle of Ai. And, and they're like, well, we don't need that many people. It's not a very big town. So they take a good contingency up there. And what happens? They're routed. They're chased off. They lose men. And they're like, God, what, what happened? Why, why, why did this happen? And, and, and for whatever reason, there's a very specific account here where God takes this particular disobedience to him very seriously. And he said, there's, there's sin in their camp. Sin of one man. One man. You can't tell me that one man's sin doesn't affect a family or a nation. 
Okay, we, just sort of a side point there, I guess. Sin, God takes sin very, very seriously. But, but here's the thing. God said, be obedient to me, and they weren't. And he's like, well, good luck on your own. And then they got routed. And, and they got rid of the sin, and, and he, he, he confessed, he admitted, he didn't repent that he took it, but he, he said, yes, I took it. And his family suffered dearly for that. And then, and then after dealing with that, Israel goes back up and they just, God just delivers Ai into their hands. And then it's town after town after town. As they're being obedient to him, he's, he's fighting for them. For them. God fights for us. Ah, oh, it's so good and so encouraging to think about that. Let's go on to point number three. God is not looking for great people. He's looking for available people. So if you're still sitting there thinking, well, I'm really not that great of a person. Perfect! That's who God wants. Because I think there's a humble hero in every one of us. We all, we've all been given gifts by God. And he wants to use those in the life of your family, in the life of your, your children, in the life of the students you teach or the coworkers that you work with or, or those people that you rub shoulders with every day. God is not looking for great people. He's looking for available people. In our weakness, we are strong. But we have to make that step of surrendering ourselves to him. It can't be in our own strength. That's really what Gideon did. Look at Matthew 6.33. Actually, I'll just read it to you because I didn't, didn't include that in the notes. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. There, there's, it's, that's our priority, seeking first his kingdom. Seeking his righteousness. Seeking him, not doing our own thing. Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? And then we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Yesterday, uh, we went to this house, and of course, I'm focused, I'm fixated on this big, giant tree. Right? Right? That was, our, that was one of the reasons. The, the tree provided the opportunity to, to bear witness to the love of God by sacrificing a Saturday to help somebody else who, who single mom couldn't afford. I mean, they wanted $1,500 to $2,000 to remove this tree. And I'm like, we could do it for free. You know? So we did. Man, I had to wrestle with that stump for a couple hours, but finally won. And, and there, one of the guys that was working with us was, had a chainsaw and he was kind of struggling with it during the day. And he like disappeared for an hour. And our assumption is, because we're fixated on the tree, he went, took it back to get it fixed or whatever to the place. And, and he comes back and we're like, where you been? He's like, oh, I've been sharing the Lord with the guy across the street. Sweet! Right? I mean, that, that is the purpose in that. But, but here's a person who was along, who, who had... Who was God had there for this reason. God used us in this. I mean, the neighbors were really, really glad to have that tree gone because they had visions of this thing falling over onto their house or their fence or their car or whatever. It's a big tree. Are we available? Are you available? Seek first his kingdom. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Honestly, I think if we do those three things, you know, part of the thing you could be thinking of is I want to leave a legacy, right, for my children and for my grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes we can get fixated on that, and then it just sort of falls flat on its face. It's like I want to leave this, but, but I don't think we have to think about legacy. I don't think we have to think about, um, you know, I want to be a hero, right? Songs just came to my mind, flooded into my mind about heroes. That's not our goal. Our goal is to seek first the kingdom of God, to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we do that faithfully every day, when you die and I die, at our funeral, they will say, wow, what what a life that person lived. Lived it for the Lord and for other people. What, what greater legacy is there to leave for our children and our grandchildren than that? I don't think any. Because as we live that way, they live that way. The, um, what, what must I do to be saved? You, you, you might be asking this. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25 this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. The jailer in Acts chapter 16 asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied with this, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you're not a Christ follower here this morning, I would like to ask you the question, won't you believe? Maybe Jesus has been tugging at your heart throughout this. Maybe, maybe he's been saying, look, you've been living for yourself. Repent of that. Surrender to me today. Don't leave here without doing that. Respond to his call on your heart and your life. It's hard, I know. In our culture today, it's like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, suck it up, right? Suck it up, buttercup. I know that came to your mind. I just thought I'd say it. But I want to encourage us all to make ourselves available to Jesus, to take up his cross, to surrender ourselves to him. You know, life is tough for a lot of people right now. Work stress, political uneasiness, the economy, physical problems, accidents, tragedies. So where do we go? Where do we go? If God is for us, who or what could ever be against us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your servant Gideon and now... Father, we know the Bible is true because it wouldn't say things like Gideon doubted and he had questions and he tested you. If it would just be this incredible stories of all of these awesome people. And, but God, we're just people, just like Gideon and Moses, Joshua. And Lord, I pray that each person in this room today leaves these doors knowing that you love them, that you have paid the price for their sin. And that they have been called to simply proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around them. Give us opportunities this week, Lord. Help us to see those people that need physical help. But also, as we do those things, help us to recognize people that are watching and are asking, why would you do that? Oh, because we've been given so much. We've been forgiven so much. Lord, we worship you with this final song. Father, we... We give of our tithes and our offerings as yet another form of worship and, and surrender to you and faith. 
Pray that you would multiply that as you always do. Thank you for the day that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. If the ushers had come forward, we'll take this morning's offering. Would you please?